with Eddie Mayer. And our BBC Radio 4, a special 30th anniversary recording of I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue from the stage of London's Playhouse Theatre. The show is introduced by the programme's first producer, David Hatch. Well, I can see you're as noisy as ever. <laughs> the history is actually quickly told. Uh, Graham Gardner Bilotti, who wrote, uh, I'm sorry to read that again, which I produced, wrote to me saying they were getting so much money on television they couldn't actually afford to write the radio series. And I said <laughs> the fans would be very disappointed about that and that they were very, very greedy. <laughs> Graham said, let's have a drink and you can put it on BBC expenses and we can talk about it. So I said, OK, where should we meet? And he said, the guinea. As you can see, money was very much on his mind. <laughs> so the idea for Clue was like most good programmes, it was conceived in a pub. And one day there will be, I'm quite sure, a blue plaque outside the guinea saying, Mornington Crescent was born here. <laughs> the plan was to continue the spirit of I'm Sorry without the fag of writing a script. <laughs> so you just add laziness to greed. <laughs> All panel games then had an educational element. Explain to Britain, Round Britain Quiz, you learn something from listening. We wanted a show that was totally trivial, irrelevant and irreverent. And I'm glad to say that that fine principle has been rigorously upheld. <laughs> the cast was to be the original I'm Sorry I Read Again cast. John Cleese, who was earning even more than Graham and Bill put together, and still is, declined. <laughs> then he joined up and then he declined again. I stood down from performing to just produce the show. So we needed a chairman. Now, since the show was to be an improvised I'm sorry, the analogy with jazz as the antidote to scripted music and text was much on our mind. And neither of us can actually recall who first said Humphrey Littleton. But that was the most inspired idea of all. There's no doubt about that. Now, of course, 30 years later, it is obvious when you think about it that the show needed an old Etonian ex-guardsman trumpeter. <laughs> the show was a complete and utter shambles. It took me over 20 hours in an editing channel to get it into shape for the controller to hear. His name was Tony Whitby. He loved it and he backed it, and the show owes him a tremendous amount. It is actually remarkable that a programme devoted to being unremittingly silly should have survived so long. <laughs> its achievements, I think, are threefold. One, that anyone called Samantha will always get a second glance. <laughs> that all foreigners believe that all stations lead to Mornington Crescent. <laughs> and that careers masters in all schools and universities compel their students to listen because it demonstrates beyond peradventure that a living can be made talking rubbish even outside Parliament. <laughs> Here endeth the lesson. Good to see you again.
We present a special 30th anniversary edition of I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, the antidote to panel games. At the piano is Colin Sell, and your chairman is Humphrey Littleton. Welcome to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. You join us at the Playhouse Theatre in London's West End, where, in celebration of 30 years of the programme, we've been asked to record a special show. And that's not our only first this evening. <laughs> what a different place Britain was back in 1972. The first series of Last of the Summer Wine had only just begun its 17th repeat. <laughs> And there were just three television channels showing a limited selection of comedy, drama, news, and sport. How TV has changed today, with digital, <laughs> digital technology providing many hundreds of channels showing a dazzling variety of gardening. <laughs> the Britain of 1972 was in economic turmoil as car factories, docks, and coal mines were hit by strikes, mass walkouts, and picket lines. Three curses eliminated by later governments. Car factories, docks, and coal mines. <laughs> Also, also that year, the plan to build a channel tunnel was scrapped amid fears that thousands of poverty-stricken migrants might attempt to rush through it. <laughs> so the government of the day sensibly decided not to let us out. <laughs> On the world stage, US President Richard Nixon was re-elected and quickly appointed Sparrow T. Agnew as his vice anagram. Nixon... <laughs> Nixon became the first ever American leader to visit China. He was invited to Peking to mend a governmental rift as Mao Zedong was fed up having to use the escalator. <laughs> President Nixon later became known as Tricky Dicky after the Watergate affair, as later did President Clinton after the Lewinsky affair. <laughs> Also in America that year, Charles Atlas died, and at a huge funeral in his hometown, mourners queued up to kick sand in his grave. <laughs> Back home in April 1972, Britain was still grappling with the baffling complexity of decimal currency. At the time, it was feared decimalization might lead to inflation, with the price of consumer items such as a gallon of petrol being sneakily rounded up from three shillings and sixpence to two pounds fifty. <laughs> We've returned here to the Playhouse Theatre, where our very first show was made on April the 4th, 30 years ago. And as the teams arrived in their usual garb of tie-dye t-shirts, paisley cravats, and flared loon pants, I couldn't help but try to remember what they wore back in 1974. <laughs> On my left, Barry Cryer and Graham Garden. And on my right, Tim Brooke Taylor, alongside our special guest, Stephen Fry. And please welcome our lovely scorer, the ever-delightful Samantha. Of course, 
Of course, Samantha wasn't with us for that first show. Because she'd just won Longest Legs of the Year 1972 and was in great demand for supermarket promotion work, she was busy opening them several times a day. <laughs> okay, si since we're here anyway, we might as well get on with it, teams. Much has changed during the last three decades, and the use of the English language is a prime example. Teams, we have to accept that many words have changed their meanings, and I'd like you to provide examples of some that you've spotted. Graham, will you start, please? Uh, yes, uh, the word negligent, a man who wears lingerie. <laughs> Cryogenic, which is um, when, you, when you turn out in a photograph to look like Barry. <laughs> Stir-fry to arouse Stephen. <laughs> Parsnip, dad's vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> There's marmite. Mum's possibly up for it, especially if dad is parsnip. <laughs> <laughs> Wallaby, someone aspiring to be a kangaroo. <laughs> Countryside. Um, to, kill... <laughs> to kill Piers Morgan. <laughs> Tomahawk, a vegetable of prey. <laughs> Dip song to wash an undergarment. You could wash it in, actually. A, a lip sync, which is a lady's intimate wash basin. <laughs> As used by Piers Morgan. <laughs> Placebo. A Spanish tenor who does nothing for me. <laughs> Rectitude is the angle at which a thermometer should be inserted. <laughs> Homophobe, somebody who doesn't like The Simpsons. <laughs> Portent, the Millennium Dome. Okay, it's, it's time for a musical game now. In which, <laughs> this on, is one Stephen, in which the team sing one song to the tune of another. <laughs> and even as those words crossed my lips, I could sense the teams thinking, sing one song to the tune of another. What on earth are we supposed to do here, then? <laughs> well, if explained properly, this is actually much less complicated than it might seem. You see, teams, although we say one song, that one song can actually be divided in two. I'm sorry to throw all these technical terms at you, but two is what's known as a prime number, as it is the integer, that is the sum of one and one. As you know, one is also a prime number, but it's also a cardinal numeral. An integer is defined as a number that cannot be factorized into other integers, but is only divisible by itself or one, whereas a cardinal is a butterfly of the genus Pandoriana Pandora, commonly found in the meadows of the temperate regions of southern Europe. 
Now I can sense, James, that you're eager to learn more. One plus, <laughs> one plus two equals three, and the numbers one, two, three, usually expressed in that order by experts, are the factors of six, which is what's known as the first perfect number. And the only thing I know for certain about a perfect number is that we've never yet heard one from Colin Sells. <laughs> it was back in 1972 that Colin first started to learn the piano. Within, <laughs> within two or three weeks, he could manage to tap out a few basic tunes with one finger. Obviously, his later career never fulfilled that early promise. <laughs> Okay, teams, to assist Stephen, you'll be performing these songs as duets. <laughs> I think that's right. I can't read my producer's writing. It's the worst writing I've ever seen in my life. The only way to read it is pin it up on a board and run past it. <laughs> so, Tim and Stephen, I'd like you to start by performing the words of American Pie, a hit in January 1972, to the tune of the Colonel Bogey March. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove by Chevy to the levee. But the levee was dry. And good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye. Singing, this will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. The book of love, and did you have faith in God above? Your turn now, Barry and Graham. I'd like you now to perform the words of Rockin' Robin, a hit for Michael Jackson in May 1972, to the tune of House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> Okay, let's try something else. <laughs> so I think I read that wrong. Okay, let's try something else. <laughs> the, next, the next game is called Sound Charades. It's based on the old TV favorite, Give Us a Clue, where the players got huge laughs by performing in silence. Our version differs in just two ways. We all recall how film titles were demonstrated in mime against the clock by the grandmaster of the game, Lionel Blair, who would use just his hands to delight his team's members. <laughs> Thirty years of this. 
None of us can forget the relish with which he once gave Melvin Hayes and Christopher Biggins yanks for two whole minutes. <laughs> In the original version, the teams weren't allowed to speak. Happy days. In ours, they do. Now, Tim and Stephen, you're to start, please. And your title's now being exhibited on the laser display board, and here's the mystery voice for listeners at home. Last tango in Paris. Last tango in Paris. Right, you're guessing this one, Barry and Graham. Off you go, Tim and Stephen. It's a 1972 film. Film. Yeah. Four words, and it goes like this. Ah, excuse me, uh, garçon. Monsieur? I've tried every brasserie and bar in this city. For what would that be, monsieur? I, I want a can of fizzy orange juice. Ah. <laughs> uh. uh. <laughs> monsieur, je suis désolé. Your curious, also English, uh, fizzy orange drinkings. Uh, oh. There has been a terrific, insatiable demand. Um, oh, that is a shame. Ah, what? Ah, I ah. speak to you a lie. No. Oh. <laughs> we have just one left. Oh, Would you like her? <laughs> Merci, Monsieur. Just what I wanted. Thank you. I'm so happy. Fine. <laughs> Was it a funeral in Berlin? <laughs> Almost tempted to give it to you. Yeah. Now we're just playing with them, but yes. the listeners can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paris. Mm. Yes. Mm. It's the last. Yes. Yeah. And time's up. <laughs> tango. Last Go on, tango. tango. Right, a final title being displayed for you, Barry and Graham. Here once more is the mystery voice for listeners at home. The Poseidon Adventure. The Poseidon Adventure. Three words, Phil. Right, here we go. Hamish! Ah, Dougal. I've had your tea. I was... Uh, uh, well... Uh, oh, just sitting here watching the cricket in my kilt. <laughs> I thought I saw something moving in there. <laughs> He's chirping away. Uh, and so am I. <laughs> A cheeky wee chicada, no. Uh, but look here, look here, you're late today. You've missed the Teletubbies. Oh, no. Why? What hijinks were they up to today? Oh, I tell you, I was gripped. And me not here, no. I... <laughs> something, something terrible happened to Poe. Oh. <laughs> Speak on, old friend. Well, Tinky Winky. Oh. Dipsy. And Ch La La. Oh, James. Couldn't see Poe from the front. Oh. No. Guy Holmes. No, no. Hold your yeah. for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> You have no heard the worst of it. Oh, no. And they couldn't see him from the back either. Mercy me! They could only see him from left or right. Oh, this is cutting-edge television indeed. <laughs> what an escapade. 
Goodbye. 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 <laughs> Stephen's so, got this. Yeah, well, we think. Or it's you're going to play with an them. escapade. I might play with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's an escapade. Yeah. The, um, yes. And we can only see Poe. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I can't believe you've done this to us. <laughs> you can only see Poe side <laughs> off. <laughs> That went awfully well. <laughs> now let's move on. Wait a minute. I think I misread that. That went awfully. <laughs> well now, let's move on. <laughs> the next game is called Word for Word and it's all about words. This round is... The round is virtually tailor-made for our resident wordsmith, Barry Cryer, who was the very first word-for-word -word champion in 1972. An important time for him in many ways, as that was also the year he proposed to his wife. Following a long evening in a country pub, Barry picked up the courage to pop the question and carried away by the romance of the moment, even got up on one knee. So, teams, bearing in mind you're up against an expert, I'd like you to take turns to exchange a series of totally unrelated words, while the opposing team should challenge if they detect a connection between any of these words. <laughs> Off you go, Tim and Stephen. Blanket. Breathless. Camel. Indicative. Aubergine. Favourite. Challenge from Barry. Aubergine favourite. Chart toppers in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, that's sorry, that was Aubergine Vincent, sorry. <laughs> oh. I apologise, I withdraw. <laughs> you don't very often say that. <laughs> Especially not, not where that. aubergines are concerned. <laughs> Carry on, Barry and Graham. Plinth. Marmalade. Gusset. Toast. Funicular. Challenge there from Stephen. Yes. Um, <laughs> funicular railways. Um, they, they have... Have you seen those toasters on wires that are funicular toasters? You, yeah. you actually get them in, in yeah. catering places. Yeah. They, they, you put the, the bread on a wire and it goes through a... You've seen those? It's absolutely genuine. They go through an oven. They use them in hotels and in large they catering don't. institutions. They do. It's, and funicular means of wire, essentially, as, as, as I don't yeah. need, you don't need anyone to in this room. <laughs> um, and it's, so, so toast and funicular are very intimately connected. Adjudication. So, are you talking to me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I was, I'd caught Samantha's eyes. I thought so I was it was very convincing. Thank you. Carry on, Tim and... Plumber. <laughs> Titular. Graham. Breathless and camel. Ah! <laughs> Doesn't take a tin of shot to fall on him. That's an old insult in, in Morocco, isn't it? Yeah. You breathless camel. That's going back a bit, isn't it? Oh, since the 17th century, I think they've been saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go on then. All right. Well, we're going on then. Yeah. All oh, right. That's your punishment. Challenge from Tim. Hesitation. Oh, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, next, 
Next up, uh, it's the quotations round. This is paid in tribute to the long-running quote-unquote program, which we all find, quote-unquote, highly amusing. <laughs> I brought along a selection of recordings of well-known public figures who've all been rudely interrupted in mid-flow. And I'd like to thank the staff of the Today program for kindly supplying the tapes. <laughs> And I'd like you teams to complete these quotes by supplying the missing endings. Barry, we'll start with you. Here's uh, a speech from Ian Paisley for you to finish off. And people right across the whole province, high and low, rich and poor, middle classes, working classes, and the upper classes have all been saying to me... Speak up. <laughs> Stephen, now here are some words of uh, Edward Heath for you to complete. I was strolling along the pier at Broadstairs one Saturday afternoon, and uh, a fellow stepped out of a sort of cubicle there and said, can I interest you in... <laughs> so I, I can't complete that because he got it wrong. What I actually said was, would you like some? <laughs> But I'm, uh, I'm very touched he remembered. <laughs> Tim, some words of uh, George Bush Sr. for you. They'll push and I'll say no, and they'll push again and I'll say to them, read my lips. <laughs> Graham, here's William Hague for you. I was in the school choir, even though I couldn't sing very well. I went on all the German trips, even though I didn't study German. I went on all the RE trips, even though I didn't study RE. I was... I was the coach driver. <laughs> Barry. Barry, a well-worn speech of Margaret Thatcher for you to complete now. I would just like to remember some words of St. Francis of Assisi, which I think are really just particularly apt at the moment. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair. Tough. <laughs> Okay, Stephen again, some rousing words from David Steele for you. Mr. President, I have the good fortune to be the first liberal leader for over half a century who is able to say to you at the end of our annual assembly, go back to your constituencies and prepare a light vegetarian meal. <laughs> Tim, here's Tony Blair for you. This dome is going to be open on time and on budget. It is not going to be torn down. It will be a lasting asset for the country. It is a triumph in the end of confidence over cynicism, boldness over blandness, and... And arse over tit. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, can you complete these words uh, by Michael Jackson? That's the most ridiculous horrifying story I've ever heard. It's crazy. 
Where did those three bears get all that porridge? <laughs> Stephen, here are some words by uh, Ian Duncan Smith. If we were clever as Conservatives, we'd be flying in the face of history. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Graham, some words of the former poet laureate Ted Hughes for you to finish off. My manners are tearing off heads, the allotment of death. For the one path of my flight is direct through the bones of the living would like to meet fun-loving <laughs> lady. <laughs> With okay, G-S-O-H. <laughs> it's now time to play the game called Mornington Crescent. The first... First, I noticed from the sack loads of cards we've received from well-wishers this week that the post office Christmas delivery service isn't getting any better. <laughs> and also we received a letter from a Mrs. Trellis of North Wales, who sends this special message on the occasion of our 30th anniversary. She writes, Dear Mr. Hoggart, <laughs> here are some of my favorite cuttings. If you need any other amusing garden waste, please let me know. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Mrs. Trellis. Now, on with the game, which today sees the third leg of the second semi-final of the seventh round of the Armitage Shanks UK Domestic League, <laughs> Division 4, with the winners going on to the grand final and the chance to win and drink a victory toast from the Armitage Shanks Charity Bowl. <laughs> well, like all matches in the Armitage Shanks series, your commentator for the event will be none other than Raymond Baxter. So while, while Raymond enters the commentary box, I'd like you teams to re-familiarise yourselves with Stovall's Second Amendment to the Standard Convention in 1972, which of course predates the Jubilee Line extensions in, in both directions. Tim, will you start, please? Yeah. Rotherhithe. A cautious opening gambit. <laughs> from Brooke Taylor, but uh, of course it opens all three diagonals. Birdcage walk. Ah, vigorous defence. <laughs> but leaving Cryer's laterals totally unprotected. I could do the old, the old, the old Chelsea bun, the Baker Street. Mm. Baker Street. Baker Street. Yeah. Chelsea bun. Baker like Street. That. Ah, we haven't seen that move attempted since Gustav Panigaris defended his title in 1959. <laughs> Ironic, really. Very yeah, good, Stephen. We haven't heard that for a long time. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. 1959, I think, wasn't it? Was it? Um, <laughs> it was Gustav Penigo who did that. Oh, ah, yes, yes, we know that. Yeah. 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 Go on, Graham. Fair lot. Oh, that's fast and furious stuff. <laughs> Perhaps more furious than fast, I don't know. <laughs> that was... 
Um, do you think I could go? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. it's the Second Amendment. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it's double second. Yeah, okay. Elephant and Castle. Ah, mm -hmm. Brooke Taylor has cleverly invoked Krebitz's law. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if it's going to pay off. I use Krebitz. Is it me? I swear I can hear somebody talking. <laughs> John Baz. Listen, Grove. Yeah. Oh, a very bold move there from Cryer. A flying stobold with double platform loop. <laughs> Spectacular. It's a bloody double platform, isn't it? Yeah, he has. Um, if I. If I. Yeah, I yeah. We're not at home to sorry. Mrs. Whisper. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But as usual, our doors are wide open to Mr. Sanctimonious Git, so we... Uh, <laughs> uh, bad etiquette. Bad etiquette. I was playing for time. I think I can go Totteridge and Whetstone. Oh, now that is a move you don't see every day. <laughs> I have to say, you don't see that every day, do you? <laughs> Onger. Now, in, in the old days, of course, that would have been offside, but I, <laughs> but I don't think the chairman's noticed. <laughs> noticed. I think he's slightly offside. Slightly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, old rules. I don't think. Old rules. Old rules. Mm, yeah. Not now. Not. Oh, well, in that case, Latimer. Oh, I say. <laughs> Latimer, Latimer. Can, that's um, can, can you have Latimer without Chalfonts? <laughs> oh, I was a good... martyr to them. Yeah. <laughs> Latimer's. Oh, Latimer. Yes, yeah. Latimer. Complete. It's okay. It's okay. 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 Burnt oak. That moves play below the line, which can be risky at this stage of the game. <laughs> Mornington Crescent. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Raymond Baxter. Right, it's high time for a game of Cheddar Gorge. I expect many of our audience often wonder about the obscure derivation of that enigmatic title, and so they should. Cheddar Gorge is just one of countless games taking their names from world-famous landmarks. There's also Brooklyn Bridge, a card game for toddlers whose parents give their children stupid names. <laughs> As you would expect, in Cheddar Gorge, the panelists take it in turns to exchange a single word each at a time in order to make up a sentence, the object being not to complete the sentence. If you hear this... <laughs> It means I judge a full stop has been reached. And if you hear this, <laughs> it means I've lost the will to live. <laughs> Tim, I'd like you to start, please. This week's subject is a letter of complaint to the BBC. Off you go. Dear. Sir. 
I wish to reiterate in the best of <laughs> forms that I was shocked, nay, horrified, when it appeared to me that an announcer was shamelessly and yet <laughs> charmingly <laughs> naked on the right of my person. <laughs> Comma. <laughs> While this can be constituted to a lack of grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I feel duty bound to state firmly and yet <laughs> in <laughs> wild and strangely abandoned terms that announcer must be immediately sent to a very <laughs> cold and <laughs> Spartan yet <laughs> oh, That was the second of my two options. <laughs> it's very nearly the end of the show, but there's just time to fit in the pensioner's ball. Samantha tells me she has to pop out now as she does a few chores for an elderly gentleman who lives nearby. She shows him how to use the washing machine and then goes out to prune his fruit trees. Later, he'll be hanging out his pajamas as he watches her beaver away up the ladder. <laughs> So, teams, while she's away doing that, I'd like you please to announce the late arrivals at a society ball for senior citizens. Will you please welcome that lovely octogenarian couple, Mr. and Mrs. Cryer, and their father, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Will you welcome, please, Mr. and Mrs. Astaire Lift? <laughs> <laughs> and their son, Stan Astaire Lift. Don't annoy him, he goes through the roof. <laughs> oh, there's the Saga Khan. <laughs> there's Mr. and Mrs. Um, have Me Coco now, and their son, <laughs> Can He Have Me Coco now? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. My Day, we didn't need drugs to make us feel good, but sadly we do now. <laughs> and there's some Ian My Day. <laughs> it's slightly higher class, Craig, but there's, there's Tristan. Oh, um, Tristan. He's quite old, but his lover is older. Oh. 
kiss off. And yeah. will you welcome, please? Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. had me glasses when I come in. <laughs> <laughs> and their daughter, Wilhelmina, had me glasses when I come in. <laughs> will you please welcome Mr. and Mrs. Shonner's rights <laughs> and their friends, Mr. and Mrs. We want them now. That's Penny Shonner's rights and Wendy, we want them now. <laughs> <laughs> it's cabaret time. Top of the bill, Helen Shapiro singing Walk in Bath to Happiness. Gargargapur. <laughs> and Ms. Halliwell with the old Spice Girl with her three hits, a sort of Jerry Hat trick. <laughs> Help me out. <laughs> Will you welcome, please? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs., you can't guess how old I am. And their grandmother, bet you can't guess how old I am. I'm 86. <laughs> All the way from Russia, I think we've seen him before. <laughs> Mr. Late. and Mrs., Ickle Stockings. <laughs> and their son, Serge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great friend of the Ickle Trusses. <laughs> <laughs> A big warm welcome, please. Oh, yeah. To Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, the price uh, of Werther's Originals. <laughs> <laughs> and their son, Gordon oh, Bennett, the price of Werther's Originals. There's the bonus family, and they're all called Daisy. Well, every Daisy bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Fortifies the over 40s and their daughter Phyllis Ann. That's well, one for the teenagers. Does Mr. Mr. Surtit, but to no real effect. And his twin sons, I can just insert it, but to no real effect. Closely followed. Already. By Mr. By Mr. and Mrs. Tile Dysfunction and their son Eric. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to bring these anniversary proceedings to a close. For a show such as this to have lasted 30 years might be thought an achievement enough in itself, but to have brought joy and laughter to thousands of listeners might at least have been worth a trial to. <laughs> So from the team, Samantha and myself and the good folk here at the Playhouse Theatre, it's goodbye. Tim Brooke Taylor, Barry Cryer, Graham Garden and Stephen Fry were being given silly things to do by Humphrey Littleton. Colin Sell set some of them to music and Raymond Baxter provided occasional commentary. The programme consultant was Ian Pattinson and the producer was John Maysmith. Taylor continues his exploration of the colliding worlds of golf and comedy in Ireland this week. He plays 18 holes of fiercely competitive golf in the company of a builder and a banker. A golf course is a good place for reflection, reminiscence, philosophy and jokes. So, between shots, Tim investigates the cultural phenomenon of the Irish joke and rummages through the archives of recorded Irishness or classic comic routines from Frank Carson, Ardell O'Hanlon, Dave Allen and others. Join Tim on the links, 10 o'clock on Tuesday night.